Hello and welcome to this week's Pink Bike podcast, which is presented by Pivot. Joining me, Henry Quinney, and Pink Bikes, Brian Park, is Pivot's Head of Engineering and Design, Kevin Taishu, and Pivot Factory Racing's Bernard Kerr. Now, we're recording this just after the Lenzerheide World Cup. And Kevin, let's just paint a picture and just go into imagination land for a second. Imagine you'd spent a long time designing a you know carbon downhill bike and you'd given it to your fastest racers and then some young kid beats them on the old bike how would that make you feel <laughs> the old bike is awesome so it doesn't make <laughs> me feel bad at all what a pra- what a pragmatist <laughs> wow and bernard how, how did you read into that you know do you think that obviously we're going to go into loads of tech talk about this new bike later on but you know do you think it would undermine Loic's confidence in that in that new bike? What do you think that was? <clears throat> Specialized guys. I don't know, man. I think I think our sport's so so cool that you could take all the EPO you want. You could have the best machine you want, really. And if you are the guy on that day, you can still win. Like it's such a cool sport that anything's possible. Like if you're just feeling it, you're riding good, you're feeling confident, you really can just turn it on. Honestly, like. Obviously, the best equipment helps and the best bike and the best setup's amazing and being as fit as you can. But downhill's crazy. You can just turn it on on the right day and just win. Like, I genuinely believe it. And I think that gets proven with people that sometimes aren't as fit as their competitors or maybe aren't on as good equipment and they still beat them. So, no, it's a crazy sport. So, yeah, I, I don't think know. The, I don't know the, what to say. <laughs> but I, I think, like, bike design, it kind of opens up the envelope of executability. But if you, you still have to have it, right? Um you know, how does we obviously, you know, we've got so many changes happening in downhill and with the rise of enduro, although maybe that's kind of plateaued off in recent years, Kevin, how does a brand like Pivot, who has a huge presence in uh, downhill racing feel about, is it still kind of the formula one of mountain biking or has that changed over the years? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it certainly is still the formula one of, of mountain biking. Uh, We, we certainly look at it that way. It's where, we can put our, you know, our deepest like projects into that and go as, as deep as we can just to really try and push the limits. It's where we get to do that. The rest of the bikes, uh, we certainly are trying to make them as best as we can, but we're not going to experiment quite as much with them as we go. There's a lot, you know, you only have to go into any YouTube video or pink bike article even to hear huge amounts of speculation about how bike companies feel about discovery taking over and red bull and sponsorship dollars going up going down it's incredibly speculative do, how, how does a bike brand feel or is, is that maybe a bit out of your wheelhouse yeah i mean i think for me personally but also for us i think we just have to wait it out and see so are you saying that you can't tell everything from one race and <laughs> You know, it's going to be successful or just a failure. Right? No, you, you um, can't, but it's, it, I mean, it would, this race this weekend was pretty good as far as coverage went. I, I think mm-hmm. everybody will improve as things go. Yeah, absolutely. No. So let's get into this bike itself. It is a particularly, um, it's a particularly good looking bike to be fair. It feels like 10 years ago, there was maybe a lot of talk about rapid development of prototyping in carbon. And here we are with the lugged bike back once more. Was it only a matter of time before we did just settle for, not settle, but, you know, go back, you know, you go back road bikes 20 years ago and they were lugged carbon, right? 
Do you think so, do you think it was only a matter of time, or do you think carbon didn't come on in the ways that people had hoped potentially? Yeah, even uh, in uh, t- uh, Titus Cycles, Chris Kokalis's old company where I, yeah. I worked with him as well, uh, we we did some uh, <clears throat> carbon lugged even mountain bikes back then as well. Uh, so I don't know. In, in this particular case, we went with this process because we know we can develop stuff faster. And really that was the, the, the key to this was to be able to prototype things quicker so that we can actually reduce everything. Uh, wait times go, going to production will get shorter and everything. So Titus was rad. Like I, which is crazy when I, when I was younger and um, I worked in a warehouse, like picking and packing some things, the guy that owned that it was a super small warehouse. It was me, him, and one other person. He lent me a Titus road bike, which was a carbon lugged road bike. For years, I would borrow this Titus bike before I was on pivot, and it was carbon lugged, which is crazy. It was like the same kind of tubes with the same like lugs on it years and years ago before I rode for pivot, <laughs> which is quite funny. Now, Bernard, I had a story of you when you signed for pivot of you breaking a bike or something like that when you first came on, and they were like, "Who is this guy?" Is that true? Was it? Was, did you did you like was, what like ten years ago now or something crazy? It's yeah, it's like fourteen years or something ago now. Oh, Two Christ. years after Pivot started, almost. But yeah, pretty much. We had the first Phoenix, and um, just where like the top, it looked like kind of like an Iron Horse Sunday, and where the top rocker went in on like the seat tube, I guess. I kept like cracking or snapping that. I think I did like two in a row pretty quick. And eventually they welded. It was pretty much just like a plate, I think, welded on the front of there to give it extra strength. Yeah, we added a little um, bit. Yeah, I broke a couple. (laughs) And um, so let's actually talk about this, this bike in particular. First of all, and, you know, Kevin, talk to me like like I'm a complete idiot, right? Don't hold back. Okay. You know, follow your heart. what is it? Is it a four bar DW link six bar? Can you just explain wh- what this design is referred to <laughs> in terms of suspension design and what the characteristics are that make it that it's, it's a five bar bike. No, I'm just kidding. It, it's, uh, oh, Jesus <laughs> <Christ. laughs> uh, we're going to get into decimal places soon. Yeah. Really in simplest terms, it is a six bar DW six bike, but one of the pivots is a flex stay. Wow, that oh. is ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> so so the 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 sort of seat stay would be the flex stay in this case. That's yeah? correct. Or chain yeah. stay. Yeah, okay. So they're technically, I mean if it was a true six bar, there would be a pivot back there on the uh, okay. on the seat stay down by the rear axle probably. Oh God. So a five and a half bar is actually correct. Shit. (laughs) Uh, And so is that, um, so it's a DW link DW six, which is what somebody Uh, Atherton Atherton uses, which will be the obvious (laughs) comparison for a lot of the things on this bike, even though there's a lot of differences. Um, did you try other suspension designs? In this process. Yes, we actually built a complete other set of prototype bikes that were a standard uh, DW Link four bar bike uh, mm-hmm. with a little bit higher of a pivot uh, built into it, but we didn't do a, um, a idler or anything. So it was more like a Firebird built up um, 
into a down downhill bike. So we tested, we built and tested two complete sets of prototypes for this. Uh, again, another reason why we went to this system so we could do it so so much quicker. Um, I, I think I think I want Bernard to tell me. Uh, I'm assuming you were the one who did some of the testing on that. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't know if you're going to have to cut this out or not. Oh, I'm allowed to say. But yeah, we had, like Kevin said, two complete bikes fully built. So we had like the four bar and the six bar. And they're mm-hmm. set up identical. They had every part on the same, everything the same. I think I did 120 runs maybe between the two bikes on them in New Zealand. And Kevin flew out to New Zealand and came out for a couple of weeks and worked with us there. So, yeah, we had four bar, six bar, both bikes, a lot of time spent in New Zealand. I'd ne- honestly never had calluses as big on my hands. It was just <laughs> downhill time. down, And it's been such a cool process to be a part of. And, but, yeah, like you said, with this system. And is – am I – I'm just going to make an assumption here. The fact that you're riding at six bar right now, does that tell us which one was faster? Yeah, we went backwards and forwards a lot, honestly, but we just, the six bar, like through the rough stuff, it's got like a real axle path, like how the suspension design works. And it was really hard, but overall, like it's hard to replicate a World Cup track. That is a really, really hard thing to do. And especially comes like finals day, like even a World Cup track on the first day of practice to the third day of racing, you know, like one, two, three days changes a lot and you need your bike to be best at the end of the third day is when your bike has to work the best and to replicate that anywhere in the world isn't easy new zealand's probably one of the best spots but both bikes felt really good but as soon as we started getting to the rougher tracks and we were literally searching for the roughest parts of tracks to try and test these bikes on we felt like the six bar just tracked better braked better and just carried speed through the rough stuff better but it took a lot of time and going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and between the bikes, we had a lot of things like Kevin said with the, the way they built them. There was a lot of, um, it was like quicker and easier. And between shock positions, headsets, rear axles, I think there was 16 versions of each frame with like, if you changed the shock here, but then put the headset here, but then put the rear axle here, there was 16 versions you could do of each bike. And we had two bikes. There's 32 bikes you could make. Wow. So between trying to change stuff backwards and forwards, it's a huge process and a lot of runs to do. But yeah, we came to the conclusion as good as we could that the six bar felt amazing and was just better on the rough stuff. Uh, and I imagine that that's not, wasn't necessarily a easy decision, Kevin, from a, from an R and D <laughs> standpoint, because so many of your other bikes have different DNA. Um, and there's, there's an advantage to having, similar suspension platforms throughout your whole line but i mean the demands of downhill are so different how did how did you feel about yeah. it were you hoping secretly in your heart of hearts that they would choose the four bar absolutely yeah to be 100 percent honest i was i was really hoping it would be the four bar um you know it's we've been building four bar bikes for a long time and it's a really good system and it's robust and we know how to to design a bike that way quickly and and efficiently and so i was hoping in some ways i mean also you think of all the quality control issues with all the extra pivots and chains and all of that um i had hoped for the four bar but at the same time i'm super excited i've been designing four bar bikes now for you know 15 16 years i'm 
pretty stoked to be working on something new anyway. So, uh, so you mentioned the two chains there, yeah. which is a really important point. I'm not like hypothetically, let's just imagine <clears throat> a world where to get sufficient chain wrap off a idler equipped bike, yeah. imagine you had to sometimes make it really, really ugly. Yeah. Your bike doesn't suffer from this hypothetical problem. Was that an aesthetic thing? Was it a chain wrap issue? Was it a design parameters thing? Because it does look cleaner for it, even though it's actually got the complication of two chains. I'm going to jump in here and answer the questions because obviously, obviously it's a Brooklyn Machine Works tribute. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Right? The rubber ducky. <laughs> hey, no. I got nothing bad to say about those bikes. So. They were, <laughs> um, man. It's my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Literally childhood dreams, right? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Like, and you go and you look at them now and they're like 30 feet tall and two feet long. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> hell was... Yeah. But I wanted one bad. Yeah. I remember I wanted one as well for a little while. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> um, to answer but, your question... Yeah, what, what was the considerations? Yeah. Uh, that, that's definitely a really big consideration is, uh, yeah, chain ring wear, all, all of that it's way, way better that way than doing an idler and just having a little bit of chain wrap. So it's just more reliable that way. Is yeah. somebody in the comments pointed out that, and I'm sorry, I'm not giving you credit because I don't remember who you are. Um, somebody asked about how the inner sprocket gets tensioned, like the, how you set chain tension on the one that's not, uh, it doesn't have a derailleur in the in the system so how is it how does that chain retain tension i read that <laughs> go ahead bernard if you want to <laughs> no you know i just i thought it was funny when i read it i was like i know this i wonder when people are going to start finding out and someone smart kind of wrote down what it was but kevin will explain it way better than me right now yeah it's i mean it's a it's a simple system it's it's just a little bit of a uh an offset offset cam so it's a little eccentric not on the bottom bracket, but on the on the sprocket on end the of top. things. You don't need a lot of movement. And you just need a little bit. We just get enough out of it. And it's been, I'll, I'll jump in as well. It's been so interesting, like how easy Barney, my mechanic, has felt <clears throat> to work on that. Because that was one of our big worries. Like, how are we going to do this? Like, is it going to be hard? And it's like, you nip it up. It literally needs no pressure. It locks on the other side. And we've worked with it as well And like, different conditions and just like the perfect amount of tension because the chain is so tiny as you can see mm -hmm. like it's super easy to dial it in it's like not trying to show off a pivot here but we were like kind of worried when we first thought about it but it's so dialed and how easy just like nip it up it's it's really cool and speaking of that area of the bike i once heard many years ago that dolly parton came second in a dolly parton lookalike contest is it that somebody has made, made some Shimano Saint cranks that look more like Shimano Saint than actually Shimano make? Or is that actually a new Shimano Saint crank set? <laughs> oh, my God, that's fumbling. <laughs> those are... <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Dolly Parton pun, but I just haven't got one in me. Those are some really good cranks on those bikes. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> anyway they also, we're gonna have some great cranks too. that also the they also have that, coming um i guess it's <laughs> it's almost like a chain device on the external side of the chain ring on the cranks if you see what i mean to is that to keep the is that does that operate as like a lower guide for the idler wheel uh i'm sorry does i didn't quite sense? understand where you're talking about so 
on on the cranks there we see a the chain ring and then if we move to the out outwards towards the actual crank arm there looks to be like some kind of uh, sort of plastic or is that does that operate as a guide for the jockey wheel as well it is a little bit of chain management yeah it's not a guide i, I wouldn't say it's uh it keeps it quiet i suppose it, does, it, it helps keep things quiet sound a bit. keeps things from bouncing around as much and when you know if we go back to right back to sort of the inception of this bike bernard we hear rumors you know maybe on the media side and some of that filters through through all you know all through the, the sport really of certain riders really wanting a high a high pivot bike we hear other people like santa cruz saying they tried one and they didn't like it you know there's a similar thing with aaron Gwynn and nico Malali doing all these different things now and i think there's a, a layer of transparency that we haven't really had in, in the in downhill racing for a little while when you heard about the option of a of a this new suspension system with potentially a departure maybe a, a higher place pivot was that something you were madly keen about or coming off your best season ever where you're like, whoa, 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 lads, don't change a bloody thing. We've got this thing sorted. <laughs> no, honestly, um, I was super excited from the get-go, but it's not for my best season ever. The first time I heard about these new prototypes was last February. I was in Chile at Street Race to go back to the start of 2022. I had a phone call like this on Teams or Zoom, whatever the hell it was with Kevin and I can't remember who else was on it, maybe Jeff and some people from Pivot. But yeah, so I was in Chile at the beginning of 2022 and I f saw the first drawings for this. That's how long this has been in the works and Kevin and everyone's been working crazy behind the scenes to make this happen and figure out where we can actually put a crank line and a chain ring. And I've learned loads with Pivot over the years about how hard that is with where the cassette goes and Q factors, whatever all that is. I've actually learned a bit, but no, I I don't know. I didn't even question it. I was just, we were on the current bikes, obviously amazing. I did really well on it last year. It's an insane bike, but we've had it for four or five years. So when Kevin said last February, hey, I've got something to show you. Can we have a Zoom call next week? I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in Chile. But I honestly remember where I was so well when he showed me the first drawings of it. And Eddie and Matt were on the call as well. And no, it's been exciting from day one. Honestly, I haven't. <laughs> I probably should question stuff more. I never do. I'm just always excited about a lot of things. I was just hyped, dude. I remember like being on the call and then showing us this thing and we had no idea. It's like, oh, I'm just going to show you a new bike design I'm working on. And we were like blown away. So it's hard to be like, look yeah. negative on something if you're blown away. Maybe I should have questioned it more. I don't know. I was just super were you excited. Were that call too? No, yeah, I missed it. I actually missed that call. Eddie, I'm lying. I honestly, Matt and Eddie were on the call with Kevin and I wasn't. I went on my own because I missed it. You're not even wrong. Did you have like pivot envy of some of the racers that were doing high pivot? Before you had the option of riding a high pivot, did you have high pivot envy? Uh, not really. Like, I don't know. Our current bike is so good and it's so good at pumping. I think as tracks change, like for everyday riding, I would our current bike is unbelievable you know like if you're in bike park if you're running downhill but i think sometimes like high pivot now a real axle path on the world cup tracks we have now are so high speed like i'm like you know maybe maybe this high pivot thing could be good like i did really good at snowshoe last year i got second the next week at saint anne i went into time practice i won time practice it was like wet so i went into time practice let <laughs> me set the scene better here we turn up at saint anne it's wet i'm like I've got this in the bag, man. St. Anne's mine this week. Like, honestly, like, couldn't be more confident. 
time practice comes around day one, it's wet. I'm like, watch this. Honestly, like so confident or cocky. However, people want to see it. I won time practice by almost three seconds or like just a nice run. I was like, man, I'm on. And as the track dried out, I was like, oh, we just need some more rain. This track needs to stay slow. Because I know when it get, does get like St. Anne's a high speed rough track. When it gets that high speed and that rough, I was like, shit, these high pivot bikes. I know they're going to come in like into their own a bit. And I still got fifth. Like, so oh, what's great, you know? Like the current bike, I got fifth, but I did think the high pivots might have had a what, little uh, what did you, advantage on me there. What was, how f- much faster was first place in snowshoe? <laughs> in snowshoe, 0.4. I'm going to ask the mean question. Do you think it would have had 0.4? I don't know, dude. Like, that mm. track's like got a lot of pumping and pedaling, but it also has a lot of rough chatter, a lot of rough in that flat rocks at the bottom it's hard to say you know you'll never know but i don't know man it's a tough one you never know like hey best of ever done the bike's good and for like a bike that kevin designed five years ago now like pretty bloody impressive there's um i think it was the comedian jimmy carr that said you know um the first bird gets the worm but the second mouse gets the cheese we've seen the common soul go super high pivot absolute truck bike and actually come lower do you think that it's actually been, you know, you kind of obviously had a good bike in, in the Firebird, the current generation, which is doing really well. Riders love it. Do you think that actually having a bit of distance and seeing sort of where the conversation's gone has then, because how would you, would you describe this bike as a true high pivot or is it like a medium pivot or how would you describe it? Uh, I, I would describe it as a, a medium. Yeah. Middle, yeah. middle. Because you've pivot. seen that like that. That V5 common style is lower. So I'd even say maybe the GT isn't a true high pivot. I mean, if you look at the Zero to the G2s from 10 years ago, now that was a high pivot. Yeah. You know, it was basically at the seat collar. Yeah. There's some weird things that happen with really high pivots that riders are certainly noticing. So uh, it's we, we, we purposefully did not go as high as we certainly could have. Yeah. So is the bike... Is the bike burner that you're riding now, is it the same as what you were testing in New Zealand or were there changes made between then and now? Kev, what can I say? It's it's definitely the one the one I was on at Lenza Hyder is new. We flew someone last week, like mm-hmm. Pivot has been going around the clock, like 14 hour days. We flew an amazing guy, Doug Tucker, huge shout out to him. We paid him. He flew from the UK last week to america on a wednesday picked the bikes up from pivot on thursday and flew the bikes to uh munich on friday that's how late so i got that bike was like hand delivered to austria and picked up from hq in america last week like literally four days before lenza hyder started so no that was a new bike and kevin what's different about that bike um well some of the geometry changed a little bit some of the Parts that we had in there that allowed us to adjust everything around were were pulled out to keep things mm-hmm. a little simpler. Uh, oh, so some of the some of the like several different shock mounting positions and axle length or uh, chainstay lengths yep. that kind of thing. Yeah, some of that stuff changed. Uh, certainly got locked in a little bit for now, so we could have a little bit, just a little more reliable of a bike it's not that we had problems with the other ones coming loose but you know how it is the more complex you make stuff you rather keep keep things simple so there was that and uh yeah as bernard said we were 
we were in a mad rush to get to get that s- stuff done. We even uh, we had Wolf Tooth <laughs> uh, make chain rings for us and everything because we didn't have time to make them this round. And <laughs> it was uh, it was a big team effort all around, really. So, and where did you end up on geometry? Um, for this, obviously, it's a prototype. You know, we're all talking around the fact that something, yeah, that something developing. eventually some of this will be a bike that people can sure. buy. But for for now, you're obviously this is an iterative process. Where did you guys end up for geometry for this particular round? Um, I mean, we don't necessarily. I I, I mean, I, I can look up the numbers, but I don't know them directly off my head. Um, but we did go between these two frames. We went shorter on reach. Um, and, uh, and we went with, uh, some of the shorter chainstay length options that we had. So, um, Oh, interesting. Kevin, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm in danger to know what we're talking about, but I'm pretty sure the grim donut, the grim donut proved longer, (laughs) longer, longer. You made the bike, joking aside, <laughs> when you were making that bike, did you actually, obviously it's it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it does have its place in its oh, own yeah. way. Did it, did it, it sounds really daft, but did the Grim Donut affect how you view geometry, maybe on a personal level or even how Pivot approaches it? Yes, I, I would say it did. Um, it, it, it had an effect on us for sure, uh, as well as the, uh, the, we made another bike that we called the Franken Trail bike. That uh, mm-hmm. that bike as well was kind of an experiment in those long numbers. And uh, through the two of those, we've definitely learned some things and have changed some geometry as a I result. Mean, I'm just assuming that it doesn't look like the Grim Donut because you're trying to avoid paying paying me the license, <laughs> yeah, right? That's what it point. sounds like to me. <laughs> That's the real reason it wasn't. Yeah, I'm not allowed. I'm Who's not allowed to a... say any more than what I've said about the Grim Donut. <laughs> ah. One last question. Yeah. Who's harder to make a bike for, Bernard or Mike Levy? <laughs> oh, Mike. <laughs> Mike, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I work with Mike. I, I know the score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We um, work really well with Vernon. Yeah, I mean, the Grim Donut, like I said, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I mean, it's, all those years ago when Ian Borelli did put all those times down, I think it did sort of shock shock people to, to an extent. Absolutely. Do you think that now we're making, and maybe this is a question that's kind of quite hard to answer, but do you think that we're making the right geometry for the suspension and the tracks we have now do you ever think we're going to see another paradigm shift in geometry or do you think it's just going to be kind of we're still just training the sites uh i i think there will probably be other paradigm shifts in 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 geometry and there's always this tug of war you know i mean what is is more fun more important or is faster time more important and all, all of that comes into play with all of this stuff and i think trends go back and forth between those things because of that. Well, Bernard, how does, how does rear chainstay length affect the most important thing to you, which is doing horrible stoppies on massive jumps? Does it play in <laughs> at all? Or? Yeah, it depends on what we're talking about. Like Kevin says, I always like have such chats with people about, are you trying to go faster or are you trying to have more fun? Honestly, I talk to people about that so much because for my downhill race bike, I want to be as fast as possible, obviously, to win races. 
But on other things, like in the, the fashion or things going backwards and forwards, I want to be going as slow as possible whilst having as much fun as possible. So I'm as safe as possible whilst the biggest smile on my face. Like, I don't understand it all the time that people just want to go faster and faster. I want to go as slow as possible whilst having the most fun <laughs> in a way, you know. But obviously, you want to hit big jumps and you want to be stable and you want to – it's a tough one. Like, I don't know, dude. I just – Have you hit any fast-sized jumps on the on the new bike yet? Um, have I ridden it through Dream Track? I don't even know if I'm on a stroller over Nitro Dream. I can't think what's the biggest jump I've hit on it. That's a good question. What's the biggest jump of? Mate, it's so easy to jump and whip because it's a mullet now. A mullet is easier to whip. Honestly, like, yeah, like, realistically, it's just going to be better and easier. Like, like I was so against 29er, and I got used to it. And I loved it, full 29. But a lot of the World Cup guys can't believe I was on full 29 last year doing that well at the end of the season, which is weird. Mm. But, um, no, everything I've read it on, written it on feels great. I know definitely the first day on it, we went up Skyline in Queenstown. There's a trail called Huck, yeah? And I almost crashed because I went off a lip and just did like the same kind of flick. And even though the bike is, I don't know if you can say or whatever, it's definitely longer. You can see that probably from a photo. <coughs> so the bike is longer. But the rear wheel's small and light, dude. I was sideways like way more than I thought. And that was kind of like a shock to start with, with like the small wheel and everything. But um Otherwise, no. She jumps good. She's gonna, she's gonna get a hard line. It's gonna be on the top. <laughs> good man. <laughs> that was my and next um, question. Yeah, hard line specialist over here. What? What about it? Oh, just like that's the bike you'll you'll take to hard line. I don't know, Chris. Kev, we'll have to ask this. Chris asked Chris Kakalis, pivot owner and founder, was at in Lenzerheide, and he said, "Are you gonna ride this at Lenzerheide?" And I was like, "Well, uh, uh, hard I said, "You tell me. I want to." <laughs> I did ask mm. him that. We kind of had a joke and dinner the other night. I think I'm allowed. Is what he gave me, but sometimes it's hard to read Chris <laughs> in a great way. Give him a, another Diet Coke and make Coke Zero, not Diet Coke. Coke oh, Zero. Has he switched to Coke Zero? It's Coke Zero now, mate. I, uh, <laughs> man, I, I had a I had dinner with him in in Taiwan earlier this year, and then later that night, I was coming back from another thing or something, and I just see Chris walking a- across the hotel lobby. With a two liter of, I guess, Coke Zero. I thought it was Diet Coke, but Coke Zero. And I was just like, that's Chris. There we go. Man, that's Chris. <laughs> Honestly, I said to the boys that like, we have a couple of my brother and a new guy called Steph that work for the team. I said, when you go to the store for today for shopping, it's like Coke Zeros, bottles, in the fridge, no one touches them. And then sure enough, Chris rolled up at the World Cup, gets out of his hire car and had a Coke Zero in hand. I was like, well, if you want a cold one, they're in the fridge. Oh. <laughs> this is how, yeah, Bernard knows how to manage up. <laughs> <laughs> So um, speaking of, you know, making a bike that's going to be able to handle something like Hardline, let's just talk about actually the sort of manufacturing process. Um, Brian, it's actually something, it's one of your notes that you see here. Huge amount of machining hours. How long does one of those lugs take to machine? Um, I mean, just a single lug you're looking at. Um, some of them are 16, 20 hours. For some of some of the parts, yeah. Brian, you could print a, you could pretty much print a high-powered Nerf gun and then give it to a neighborhood child within that yes. time, right? Yeah, easily. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can endanger all the children. Yeah, 
in that time. What, all, what all the cats in your neighborhood only have one eye. Why is that, Brian? I, I don't know. I don't know. For us, it's all about managing our resources. We have lots of, of machines and, and really good machinists. Bill at Pivot has been, you know, there the whole time as well, and he's amazing. And we figure out some great ways to make some really difficult parts to make. So. But when you're when you're making these, you're really thinking about one-offs, prototypes, and not you're not thinking about production efficiency because ultimately this isn't how you, if and when in the future, if you take the learning from this to a consumer bike, this isn't how you plan on making it. Yeah, uh, I mean it'd be nice if we could make some like this, but uh, it's not that practical at the moment. So. <laughs> just yeah is it is it just the time involved or the facilities or like what's if you look at the comments on when levy went down did the factory tour i think the top comment was just like please god give us raw carbon and and polished lugs please 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 (laughs) i will give you all of the money right is uh, you know um what what's what's stopping it's something we have to look at um you know but it's uh yeah i mean it's just i mean there's a a lot of time that goes into each of those parts and it's just not practical for from a cost standpoint i mean at the same time you can read a hundred comments on the same thread saying oh i'm sure this will cost you know as much as my Mm -hmm neighbor's bmw you know and and so it's just we we have to find a balance there so yeah i mean i'm sure everybody who wants one-off parametrically designed custom for them geometry polished lugs raw carbon made in usa everything and then they're like oh sorry that's twenty six thousand dollars for the frame oh maybe yeah. not. <laughs> But that's that's a really good point there because obviously you're designing it with lots of feedback from racers. Yeah. What relevance does that hold? Because I've got a suspicion, a sneaking suspicion that Bernard, you and I ride bikes in a slightly different way. I've got a feeling that maybe to the, a real expert could spot some differences about how, how we approach simple things like cornering. You know, do you think there's an argument that actually we should almost be doing kind of two tiers of bike for the racers and and then for the rest of us. And is in some ways that what the downhill to enduro bike is? I think, yeah, it definitely is. You're right. Like it is the F1 of biking. When you watch a race, even when I stand trackside in World Cup practice and I watch someone go by, even the guy that's getting 40th or 50th, I'm like, oh my God, they are absolutely flying. It's honestly insane. But at the same time, it just feels good. You get on a downhill bike. I don't care how good, how bad you are. And you get on a chairlift or go to a shuttle day. It you have the sickest time. Like downhill bikes are amazing. They're unreal. They're confidence inspiring. They help you get aware of the stuff. And I think if that's what you're into, they do help you progress your riding or whatever you want to do. But ultimately, you've got to be in the right place for it. Obviously, you need a mountain. You need this. You need that. But I don't know. It's it's such a tough question because I would say yeah, most people are better just go buy a Firebird. You've got one bike that does it, or you're going to have a great time. But then again, like if you want to just hit the chairlift all day, every day and put a smile on your face. It doesn't matter who you are. A downhill bike is going to be great. Like you're going to have a good time. You are going to go faster, faster you go, the bigger jumps you're going to be able to hit. You're going to have more confidence, a triple clamp fork or 
double crown whatever you call it depending on where you're from is amazing like it's got a super stable feel it looks gangster and it is sick like <laughs> dude honestly like i have like a few old motocross bikes and like even like small z50s and my old hardline bikes and custom pivots i've had i love having them in the garage you know i think mm. half of it for people is you buy that sick bike you spec it up you get the fork on it you get the handlebars you want yeah you ride on the weekends but you get excited you want to go look at it in the garage you want to like polish it and I don't know. Even for me, that's yeah. half of it, dude. I love, I love seeing my bikes, especially these, these lugged ones at the minute, dude. I would like go out in Queenstown in the garage, and I'd just sit in the garage and would hang out, chat, you know. And like, we call it tailgating, even though it's not proper. But we'd sit in the garage at the end of the day, have a beer, and just look at the bikes. Like even us, mm-hmm. like I get that pivots. Luckily for me, for free, it doesn't matter whether it's the current downhill bike or these new lugged ones, dude. I think they look sick. I love riding mm-hmm. them, and I like. Sounds weird. I like looking at them. I like having them in the garage. They're just cool. But it's, <laughs> like you can't it's help crazy. It. It's like I know that I know that downhill mountain bikes are. I I agree. I love I love downhill bikes. I know they're very specific. I know they're not for everyone. I know the terrain. But if you told if you told a motor enthusiast that actually having like a specific track car was an opportunity, and yes, you have to go to the special track and it's not road legal and you've got to get a trailer. People go to a lot of effort for that. And I'm not saying downhill bikes are cheap in any way, but it is cool that we can ride the same thing that the pros ride. We can ride similar sort of tracks and you can just hammer it out. I mean, for me, I, you know, I'm obviously not, not quite, not quite at the same, at the same speed, <laughs> but I still love it all the same, you know? Yeah. When well, you isn't... put it like that, you can, I'll just quick finish this. Sorry, Brian. Like you can go and buy the bike today or last year that I got second at Snowshow on or fifth in the overall. You can walk into a bike shop and buy that exact bike if you want. Well, that's a thing. And that is unbelievable. Yeah. But Bernard, you could buy the same bike that won the Lenza Heider World, World Cup. And I've heard Lloyd Bruni's actually going to his yeah. local specialized dealer to pick up one this week. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, but how cool is I mean, you definitely can't buy that suspension. Like you kind of can, but... The specialized yeah. is, is uh, with the Olins that they run. You can't buy it, actually. But it's close. You can buy the frame. Whereas our pivot with the Fox suspension, you honestly could walk into a shop today and buy it. Like, mm. no no problems asked. It'll cost you a pretty penny, but you're going to have the sickest looking bike. And you are going to have a good time on it and ride good. And I think there is a place for it. No matter how fast or slow your capability, it's going to up your riding level down a hill if you have a bike Such- that we race such an evangelist for downhill bikes man i love it man I know. honestly fucking jero fucking jero yeah, well hey every once in a while like you know my once a year riding an enduro bike i'm like wow you know they have come a long way like maybe there is no need for a downhill bike anymore and then 20 minutes on a downhill bike yeah fuck that like they're still yeah, it's still exactly. a whole other level oh, yeah. Yeah. That is what be. people say they're as good as downhill bikes it's like what downhill bikes are you riding i just don't yeah, get it man. i just yeah. It's a bit mad. Um, Kevin, you've, I'm sure you've worked with lots of really great racers. You probably have a whole raft of testers, a lot of a lot of which probably fly under the radar, you know, like yeah. just some, I'm sure some local riders. If, you know, let's do parents evening style report card. How does Bernard stack up as a tester? <laughs> uh, Bernard is, uh, has greatly improved over the years, actually. Uh, he's actually really good now. That's um, true most improved yeah. that's what he writes on the report card. i would agree with that most improved terrible before yeah well he was a great tester in the beginning as, as we were talking earlier and that we immediately knew we could send him stuff and if it was gonna get destroyed 
he would be the one who could do it. He doesn't quite ride like that anymore. I think he's, you know, he's, his, his, <coughs> his smoothness is improved, but uh, back then there was not much feedback. You know, it was hard to get meaningful Zero. feedback <laughs> on, on anything, but now I, I, you know, I, I trust what I can get from him and, and, so he's actually great to work with. Have you ever thrown him a, a curveball? Like not told him which of the geo settings or which of the suspension settings and try and get some get some like quote unquote blind <laughs> feedback? We did a little bit of that this time around. Um, but uh, and I, I've also just forced him into trying things that he didn't want to try. <laughs> Such as just Definitely. the change the legs. <laughs> 29 inch wheels 29 inch wheels yeah <laughs> um so in terms of that that blind testing something that we often get in you know in the ski industry they can go out and they can just take the top sheets off stuff and th- you don't know what you're skiing right and you can do different brands you know do you think that because the bike is so hmm, vulnerable to our perception visually we can see so much of what's going on do you think that undermines undermines or makes testing to a degree harder especially with something like a tire right which is so obvious you see it on the front and you know what's going on but even with our frame geometry you can tend to get an idea of things i've got a bit of feedback here because from day one well last february the only frame i saw that was gonna be a prototype was the two chains six bar we just got two chains it's cool and (laughs) is it the most expensivist (laughs) yeah just two chains man (laughs) and then we found out there was gonna be a four bar as well and honestly i wanted the two chains to be so good like out the gate i was like oh my god it looks so cool and when i jumped on the four bar i was just like it's simple it's easy it was so neat dude and i was like i prefer the four bar like first day two three Mm -hmm. it was just easy to ride it felt so nimble with the mullet and stuff and i was like and all I wanted to do was prefer the four bar, led the six bar, the two chains. And I genuinely preferred the other one. I was like, shit, this sucks. I like prefer the four bar, like until we did more and more and more. So like it kind of was blind without trying to be, even though you knew, mm-hmm. dude, I was like, I prefer this one until we did so many times, so many laps, so, so many laps. And you charge harder. You start charging into the same rough section as you learn the new track more. Cause we did so many laps on the same tracks. Like, days and days and days in a row you know and it was a real cool thing to be part of but it wasn't quite like fully blind but i had what i wanted to like and at the time i wasn't i was like no i prefer the other one even though i like that one more and then we came to realize that now the other one is better <laughs> if you know what i mean so yeah. but it's it's funny how susceptible we all are it's, i think it's probably you know part of the human condition to getting momentum our biases i remember when working for polygon we had that new bike that was coming out that Mick and Tracy were on and all the other riders wanted to get on it. And then Alex Foley got on one. And um, and he, to be fair to him, he said quite early on, like, this isn't for me. It's just, I don't like mm-hmm. it. And actually, to be honest, looking back, I don't think, hmm, I think the team was probably too entrenched in, because we, we were prototyping, but it was a pre-production bike, you know? I think the team was maybe too entrenched and not receptive to that. Like, not, not they were more like kind of, let's try and get used to this new bike rather than wait a minute. That's a really good bit of feedback. The fact that everyone is telling you this is the best bike you could ever hope to ride. And you've have the capacity to be like, no, this isn't it for me. Well, we should and talk subsequently, about, go on, Brian. We, we, we should talk about that because the most, most 
prototype bikes, when you see a prototype bike on pink bike or in the media or on Instagram or whatever, most of the time it's, it might be a pilot run bike, but really the, the athlete had got the bike the week before it might be a slightly different layup than production, but it's, it's just, a, it's a bike that's happening. And it's pre-production, it's like, yeah. It's pre-production, but it's like it's happening. It's done. The the molds are paid for. It's it's go time. And if the athlete has some feedback about like, oh, the cable ports or something, like maybe you can make a small mold modification. But if the athlete goes, oh shit, the BB is too low. I'm I've got tons of pedal strikes, even with one fifty fives or one sixty, like whatever. Um, there's nothing you. It's like run a taller fork. That's your only option, you know. Whereas this is actual an actual prototype, this will not not see production. Kevin, can you, if Bernard comes away from Lenzahida with a request to change a head tube angle or a or something, um, yeah, I don't know, chainstay length. Like, is it is it all parametric? Can you just update the model and? Uh, yeah, we can have models uh, at this point. We can have models change pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, there's still machine time and everything. So it's not like, uh, mm-hmm. it's not like Bernard could show up, you know, this week in Leo gang with a different bike. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit of a rush. I mean, this, this last, the bikes that he, that, that they're racing right now were three, three to four weeks is what it took us to build all the parts. So that's but insanely we, fast. We can change them. <laughs> yep. Which like you say, Brian, yeah, like it's not like when you see those new Santa Cruises when Laurie and everyone was on them in New Zealand. They're done. They're a perfect carbon malt. Like they're prototypes, but they're not. They're just pre-production, exactly what you say, bikes. Whereas if I said to Kevin, hey, in four weeks or five weeks, I want two degrees slack ahead angle, we could do it. And we had the bikes that got flown to Austria last week came with a new chain guide they put on it, like a 3D printed mm-hmm. chain guide. And instantly we're like, hey, we've got too much flex. Like we, we think it's doing this and that. We're not really sure, but we think this. Kevin and the crew and Bill in-house from – I gave them the feedback on Sunday in Austria. And they made a new part. They machined a new part in Phoenix and Chris Gacalas flew it to Lenzerheide for me. So from the weekend on Sunday, we had a different chain guide for the race in Lenzerheide, which is insane. Like, I don't think I've ever heard of that in anyone else or even pivot before. Uh, well, I think, I think this is what consumers think happens for everybody every time in a prototype bike <laughs> no, that development. Like insane. people, that is, that is not normal. <laughs> no, that but, is do, ridiculous. There are certain words that are interesting that we use in mountain biking that often don't mean what we all, we all know what the definition is. For instance, prototyping is a good one. Another one that I'd love to hear, in fact, both of your opinions on, there are some teams which are factory teams and there are some teams which have factory in the name, but it's amazing when you see a factory team change between bike sponsors and it's the same person, everything's the same, but they're a factory one year and they're a factory the next year. Is Pivot Factory Racing a factory team? And what is a factory team? <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Hard question to answer. I mean, we, uh, we're all in with Pivot Factory Racing 100%. Hmm. Uh, but Bernard manages the team, and we do go through. It's factory backed. Yeah, it's a factory backed team. Yeah, because in like in motorsport, there are a lot of teams which, how to put this, have really like really strong heritage. Yada yada yada. 
and they're like almost considered like a privateer team. Like for instance, Williams or something like this is an independent team. It's not, it's not a factory team, but in mountain biking, we see the factory name used a lot where if, I don't necessarily know what kind of ties it has to the, to the company that it's supposedly the factory team of. I think it's quite an interesting, an interesting sort of dichotomy. It's, it's definitely different in our sport because spe- the specialized downhill team is their factory downhill team, but it's just specialized gravity because it's owned by Laurent. Technically, that yeah. team's owned by Laurent and it's pure agency. Technically, I do own my team and Pivot is the title sponsor, but it is mm. their factory effort, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's their factory-backed team. So it's different in motorsport because you could have a factory-backed independent team for sure, mm. or you could have the one that's owned by Honda. You know, so it depends. But this is definitely, I think you can see, a factory effort when the owner of the brand is flying parts (laughs) out uh, to Switzerland to to hand deliver them and put them on the bike before practice. It's about as factory as it gets, I'd say. And when you know what what exact sugar content they want in their beverage, (laughs) it's a bit different. Yeah, Um, yeah, we know know what needs to be in the the team truck in the fridge. I, I heard a rumor, Bernard, that last year you said that if you won a World Cup, you'd retire. Is that true? And have you now that you're getting this new exciting bike? Is that changing a bit? No, I don't know. It's tough, man. I maybe the sport is gnarly now. It's super dangerous. It's super high speed. This is my 16th World Cup season in a row. Oh, hold on, Bernard. I, I have missed a few you're going to retire, and I know for a fact you're going to go race moto. <laughs> I'm not going to race moto. I'm going to I'm going to float about, do some whips, and hang out, man. I I love World Cup racing. But we've taken a spin. Sorry, I'm late for the call because we spun up the hill already. And it looks like the same track. It's the same track. And I'm going to spend the same weekend in the same car park this year, which I am not complaining. I absolutely love my job. But it's the 16th year in a row I'm racing World Cups, which is a lot of seasons racing Mm -hmm. as hard as you can, a bunch of weekends a year, risking getting hurt, doing all this stuff. And we do only live once, man. There's a lot of other amazing things I would love to do, whether it's go film a video in Hawaii on a new pivot, go to Sri Lanka, go teach some kids how mm. to ride in inner city London, whatever it is, there's amazing things you can do in the world in cycling on YouTube now. So I don't know. Yeah. I think if I won a world cup, hopefully I don't get fired by pivot. Hopefully I can still run the team, but <laughs> I think, yeah, man, I would be, I would be content. I technically have, won one world cup in junior we didn't have a podium at the time but the last ever race i did in junior i won schlabming world cup as a junior but i'm not really counting that so yeah i think i would count that shit like, for the rest yeah. of my life just to be clear i would count the shit out of that <laughs> i'd be like hey my Honestly. name is brian also did you know <laughs> no man i've got to win a world cup we've got so close now this new prototype it feels unreal i feel like in the form of my life i've been really sick last week and and leading into it and and schlabbing like super sick trying to get all this dialed in and working way too much on the laptop which i shouldn't do i'm pretty much a desk jockey half the time so everything's in place now i can chill and get off this podcast in a minute and go to bed before midnight which will be nice and um i'm gonna be healthy this week and we're gonna charge boys we're going for it i'm trying to retire as soon as possible so i've got to win this bloody race (laughs) From a bike oh, design point of view, Kevin, <laughs> surely you kind of want the tracks to stay the same. You know what I mean? You know, you want you want a predictable. Yet again, we make the thing compared to other motorsport. And if they got to Silverstone every year and it completely changed, they'd be like, "Well, how can we prepare for this?" From a bike design point of view, do you actually? Is it kind of nice that the tracks? Sure. Don't change? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice. I mean, they've evolved. 
definitely over the years. Um, but it's nice knowing what to expect. And, and um, yeah, it is. It's interesting how things are even less peddling now, I think, than they used to be. And um, it's just, uh, it's, it's easy. It's. But did it kind of break your heart a bit when maybe 2017, when they were literally hacksawing roots out of the track and you're there designing a downhill bike and you're like, oh my God, like, <laughs> Why did we agonize over that, you know, anti-squat value or that leverage ratio right. when they're actually trying to make it a motorway anyway? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I prefer the rougher tracks myself, but that's all just from my preference from what I used to like to ride too, you know? So I like to design what I want yeah. to ride. I think it's not even like, I like some of the new designer track. Yeah, they could slow it down here and there. The new, like kind of the newer school tracks, how they are. Yeah, they're high speed, but I mean, we could just shift the tape 10 foot left or right. We could just have it a bit fresher each week, not the exact same sections. I think keep the design. Let's keep Kevin's life easy. Let's keep the sport looking cool on TV if we want. But let's just change the taping a little bit and give us some new features would be cool is all I, is all I was trying to get at. Yeah, that's fair. Well, when they, so- they changed the taping Andorra and they ended up putting the track on the wrong bloody hill. I mean, they were trying <laughs> to change hill, it mate. Don't and they were like, oh there. my God. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're literally, the pits are like six kilometers in that direction. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah, they try, they try. <laughs> so I know I know we, we should probably let Bernard uh, off pretty quick here so we can get his nap in and not blame not blame this I'll podcast. I'll pipe down. <laughs> <Fucking> <laughs> hell. It's 8.13, eight, it's eight I'll be fine tonight. <laughs> okay, you'll be fine. But Kevin, like before we end, I really, I want to hear more about how we go from this bike to, to reality. Um, like f- to consumer reality, like what, what's the process like from here? So, uh, I mean, the way we run things is we run prototypes in parallel with design for production. And, um, we, we have a production version of this bike in process already. Mm. Um, not mm. in tooling or anything like that, but we have the industrial design going on it and the engineering part of it. Uh, we just keep that going on the sidelines until we're ready, until we think everything is the way we want it, and until uh, we've learned everything we feel like we want to learn from this. And so how it goes is, uh, you know, we'll go through whatever prototypes we need to do here. Uh, and then someday you'll see Bernard on a on a production sample. <laughs> and, and to be clear, like right now, we are talking about a more traditional looking carbon layup yeah i mean that's that's what i'm talking about right now yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so what then compared like many people do make prototypes by welding a bunch of tubes together um and then make a carbon bike from that is there an advantage to having carbon tubes in the mix in your prototypes like you had to have done it for a reason yeah i mean am i look sick come on it's got the real reason uh no we can play with uh different stiffnesses uh a lot easier than just using aluminum tubes we built aluminum prototypes for years and um you know we're pretty much stuck using stock aluminum tubes it's pretty rare that you would you know, make new dies and everything for a new tube for a prototype and then make another set and another set just to change stuff around. But we can do that with carbon tubes. So there, there are big advantages to that for sure. 
And then. And, and for other factories or other companies have aluminum bikes that they could then use the aluminum prototype process to make the aluminum yep. bike. But you guys are carbon only. So we are carbon only, but we've actually easy. never lost our aluminum building capabilities. We've built aluminum mm. prototypes for years and years and years now. In fact, this, uh, this Phoenix design was based, I created that system, the lug system that we're using in house now, uh, as the first version of this type of bike, the last bike before that we, that we did a prototype on was made out of aluminum still. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. right. You know, Titus, where Chris's background was all aluminum bikes, you know, for years. So we've got a lot of experience there. We're just not currently making any aluminum bikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I meant more just if for brands that have aluminum models, they can, you, there's a more direct line between the prototype and the final aluminum product. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas to make a carbon bike, most brands out there are making an aluminum test mule and then it's further from the prototype i guess is what i'm saying if when you go from full aluminum to full carbon it is it's a little further yeah we we had a pretty good system of of keeping our aluminum prototypes riding similar to our carbon bikes mm -hmm. it's something you can't really do necessarily in production because uh aluminum has to be stiffer if it's going to last a lifetime uh Right, but well, uh, if you're do just doing prototypes, you can get away with a little bit less of uh, you know stiffness in some areas and get the bike to ride a little more like a carbon frame. So, will your next generation of all of your other bikes use a similar prototyping process to what you're doing with with the downhill bike? Uh, I, as of now, yes, um, but we're also evolving the, the whole system. So, uh, we've got we've got some more things coming down the line. I think. Cool. Amazing. I mean, I think that's probably a really good place to leave the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time. Bernard, I know that you know, you've got an excuse in the back pocket if the weekend doesn't go as well as you'd like that we've kept you up until 8.30. Holy shit. <laughs> the weekend hours boys, ago. trust me. <laughs> good on you. We're making it happen. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Pink Bike Podcast. Bye.